1: Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports Capital of North America. Keep
0: your radio tuned to this
1: frequency. You're
0: listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host.
2: I tell you, I've never seen anything
3: like that guy,
0: Brian Berger. Well, thank you for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. As you can tell, I am not Brian Berger. Brian is out of town on business, so we're going to revisit some great interviews we've had over the last couple months, as well as update you on the latest in sports business headlines from this week there's some headlines this week that might make our best of show in the next couple months so you want to stay tuned for these headlines if you haven't already paid attention what's going on in the world of sports in segment three brian interviewed mark Fenruwata. he's an espn investigative reporter and also the author of game of shadows barry bonds has been in the news a lot lately and especially over the last year you're going to want to listen to what mark has to say In segment four, Tony Petiti of MLB Network. If you haven't had a chance to check out MLB Network, you want to tune in. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the NFL Network, but Major League Baseball is the real deal on TV. Visit our Sports Business Radio blog. Go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can also download the show On iTunes. And last but certainly not least, we are in social media. So go to our Facebook page and become a friend of Sports Business Radio. We have some big names as friends on Sports Business Radio and friends from all over the world. It'll keep you updated with the latest in the sports business world. So definitely stay tuned. We're coming up with headlines. I'm Nathan Roach. You're listening to Sports Business Radio.
4: Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out of classroom experiences, including real world consulting projects, study tours and internships with a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career. The Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education.
1: Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger.
0: Well, it's time for our Sports Business Radio headlines sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. The number one headline of this week, the guy who has been in the media a bunch lately, Yankees third baseman Alex Rodriguez, has a toured labrum in his right hip, and that's also in addition to assist. Both Yankees and his agent confirmed this on Thursday – they said that uh, he's likely not going to be able to play in the World Baseball Classic and could be out as long as 10 weeks. This has not been a very good month for Alex Rodriguez.
5: This hasn't been a good month for Alex Rodriguez, and this definitely has not been a good month for Scott Boris, and we will talk more about that coming up.
0: Well, definitely. And, and Alex Rodriguez, I mean, let's not forget, he's one of the highest paid athletes in sports. He's been through... The steroid testimony. Now, it, it. I guess I just feel like it's a little bit of karma coming to bite A. Rod in the you know where headline number two. Manny Ramirez agreed to a forty five million dollar two year deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers this week. Of course, Ramirez led the Dodgers to the two thousand eight National League West title by hitting three ninety six, and of course, his epic performance in the playoffs. He batted. 520 with four homers and ten RBIs. Bobby's, this is a good move for the Dodgers. This is
5: a great move, and you know what? This was the original deal they offered him way back when. And as we've talked about on the show, you know what? Nobody else really wanted the services of Manny Ramirez but the Dodgers. I know it was rumored that the Giants were out there and wanted to offer him a one year deal for like six million, but listen, he is stealing money from LA and listen, like we mentioned before, Scott Boras is his agent. Scott Bors is also Arod's agent. I don't know if Scott Boris can be trusted as an agent anymore. And listen, if I'm him and somebody gives me a deal, I'll take it and run.
0: You betcha. And look at these numbers. Ram- Ramirez gets $10 million this year and $15 million in deferred money with no interest, a plan that sides discussed would have it payable in $5 million installments until 2010. So a good move for Ramirez. Good move for L.A. Scott Boras, I don't know about Scott Boras, but uh, we'll stay tuned with Manny's season this year. Headline number three, the Dallas Cowboys have officially released Terrell Owens. This happened on Thursday, ending a three-year run that produced as many big highlights as it did big plays. The Cowboys, of course, paid Owens a $12 million signing bonus just last year, which was included as part of a new four-year $34 $34 million a deal. Dallas will take a roughly $9 million salary cap hit with the release of Owens. Bobby, your boy T.O., where's he going to end up next, and is this good for the Cowboys? You
5: know, I don't know where he's going to end up, and this is a great move for the Cowboys. The Cowboys lately, in the last few weeks, have really kind of cleaned up the whole locker room. They not only let Pac-Man Jones go, but now they let Tio go, the two biggest, you could say, cancers of the team. I really look for Dallas to kind of come out and actually you know make a splash this year in the NFL without all the side you know the side stuff the bad headlines. I think Dallas is now a contender.
0: Headline number 4. March Madness is upon us, Bobby. CBSsports.com says that its ad inventory for the upcoming March Madness on demand is nearly sold out and that revenues generated by the web video product are approaching $30 million. CBSSports.com Senior VP and General Manager Jason Kint told Media Week that ad revenue would be up more than 20% from last year's $23 million. Bobby, we talk all the time on this show about how more people are tuning in online. You're going to be tuning in for March Madness.
5: Absolutely. The last two years, you and I both have had the VIP access because we signed up early. And you know what? I'm going to tell our listeners right now, M-M-O-D... That NCAA.com or com is where you go to get registered. Listen, this is definitely worth the price of admission. You don't have to pay anything, and you get to see every single game.
0: That way you don't have to take sick days anymore. And this year, MMOD will feature a high-quality video player using silver light that will stream video at speeds up to 1.5 megabytes per second. That is quick, quicker than you're used to. Coming up next... Brian's interview with Mark Fain-Ruada He is author of Game of Shadows. He's going to talk about Barry Bonds, and you definitely want to stay tuned for this interview if you didn't catch it the first time around. You're listening to Sports Business Radio.
1: Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. One on one with those making the big time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. My guest is Mark Fainreal Wada. He's the
4: co author of the book Game of Shadows. He's also an investigative reporter for ESPN. Mark, thanks for joining me on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio.
2: It's my pleasure, Brian.
4: So, Mark, you wrote this week on ESPN.com about an unforeseen series of events that brought Yankees third baseman Alex Rodriguez's positive steroid test to light. I wanted to have you on to talk about the series of events that led to this revelation. So you've been on the Bauco story. You followed Barry Bonds for a number of years. How surprised were you that Alex Rodriguez's positive test for performance-enhancing drugs from 2003 was made public this week? Because, after all, the tests were supposed to be anonymous, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest surprise what it was that it was Alex Rodriguez. I mean, clearly, we all knew who'd been, you know, folks who'd been covering this story knew that there were 104 names out there, 104 positive tests. Um, but you know, the list has been obviously tightly kept. Um, it's still under the litigation, and I think there was not necessarily a sense that it would come out. And I, you know, there wasn't uh, any sense necessarily that you would get it uh, on that list. I think people had heard plenty of rumors, but. You know, going from that to actually nailing down the story is a really difficult thing. And so I certainly I commend Sports Illustrated. They did some remarkable reporting.
4: Mark, take us back. You wrote in your story this week, August of 2002, the owners and the union agreed to a year of survey testing. The players were checked for steroids but not identified if they showed positive. Explain to our audience how that process worked. And, um, you know, again, I think it's part of the story that we saw this week, how it unfolded.
2: Sure. The, the process was a player would get tested. They obviously needed to prove each player was tested, so you needed to know who you were testing. So there had to be a name. But then the players were assigned a number, basically, and that number then was uh, basically put in one place in the player test with the player's uh, sample. Uh, they went to the lab who tested the samples, um, and basically the information was kept separate. So one uh, lab was keeping the samples, and another place had all of the sort of testing information about who it belonged to. So you weren't really supposed to put the two together. And then, ultimately, after the test results were collected and everything in 2003, that material was supposed to be destroyed. Um, But basically, the players' union, for the most part, I mean, the owners are responsible to some degree, but the players' union neglected to have the samples destroyed and the information destroyed soon enough. And then, ultimately, when Balco broke, the federal government saw an opportunity and said, hey, wait a minute, Um, you know, there's a number of baseball players we're investigating related to Balco, Um, And those samples may be of use for our federal investigation. And ultimately, um, both because of this sort of strange turn of events and because the union really put up a fight and tried to keep the government from getting its hands on those, the government ended up going after all of the samples as opposed to just the results that related to uh, 10 baseball players who are connected to
4: Balco. So, Mark, one of the big questions this week, you just mentioned there were 103 other positive tests how does A-Rod's name get leaked? Is this at the government level? What would be your best guess as to how his name got leaked?
2: Well, you know, one of the things I learned from dealing with our stories on Volco and, and all of the guessing that went on about who provided us information, how we got our information, is uh, it's a pretty useless endeavor to try and guess where people got their information. And frankly, I think it's sort of beside the point. Um, you know, Sports Illustrated reported clearly a true story Um, even more true when you look at A-Rod admitting his use in 2000 and 2001. And, you know, a lot of people had access to that material. Um, Sports Illustrated found four people, according to its story, who were willing to to confirm it. And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't even venture to guess where they got the information.
4: Do you think this puts an added strain on... Uh, Major League Baseball's relationship with the Players Union. Uh, again, you know, the Players Union thought that these were anonymous tests. They thought the names of the people participating in these tests would be protected, but now we see one of those names, and probably the most prominent name, has been outed. We see people like Kurt Schilling and other players coming out this week saying that they would like to see the other 103 names released from the list. What are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the, the one point is that you know initially, really, the, the people most responsible for the list coming out actually appear to be the union because they didn't step up and get this material destroyed. Um, so it's hard for the union to argue that MLB is responsible for this in any way, that the owners are. That said, when you see the commissioner coming out and telling USA Today that he's going to consider punishing A-Rod or that he's going to consider looking at the records and all of those things, when... Uh, you know, there was supposed to be no punishment from 2003, you certainly can see the possibility that this is going to create new levels of strain, you know, in a relationship that has a history of incredible strain.
4: Mark, you've been around this for a long time. I mean, a number of years now because of the book that you wrote, Game of Shadows, and all the excellent reporting that you've done. How much is Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Seeley to blame for this? Because, you know, the cynic would say, look, If you're Alex Rodriguez and you're looking at a $275 million contract, if you're Roger Clemens and you're a middle-of-the-road pitcher and you're getting $25 million a year, if you're uh, Barry Bonds and you're offered a a huge amount of money to play for the San Francisco Giants and you think you can cheat the system, you know I saw a poll this week where the public was asked, would you have taken performance-enhancing drugs if you could have gotten paid this amount of money? And I was surprised that probably about 60% of the people said they would have taken performance-enhancing drugs if they knew the upside was that much money.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things I said from the start is that in many ways you can't completely blame the players. Um, As you know, the money is so incredibly great, the pressure intends to succeed, and the rewards for success so huge that, um, you know, the player, if there's an understandable nature to the players deciding that they're going to do whatever they can, you know, that's not to absolve them of the responsibility of using you know illegal performance-enhancing substances or to resolve them of this responsibility basically of cheating the system. But this doesn't happen in a vacuum, clearly. I mean, you know, everybody has some level of responsibility. And and frankly, the commissioner's office is certainly right there at the top. Um, You know, baseball has talked repeatedly about how now it has this great testing policy, about how it's really gotten out in front of this thing. But the reality of the circumstance is that baseball has perpetually sort of been uh, behind the curve on the issue has been much more proactive, or reactive, I should say, than proactive. And so, um, you know, they have they have been pleading for this to go away for years, and the reality is actually we're, we're right back in the middle of this thing in a huge way.
4: Mark, I know you're not a lawyer, but again, you've been around this for a while. Would you think that someone like Alex Rodriguez or any one of the players from the 103 that may also have their name released? Do you think they'd have any case legally uh, against the players' union? How ironic would that be? Because those uh, tests were not destroyed like they were supposed to be.
2: I mean, it's certainly an interesting question that can be raised. I mean, I know in the context of the Bonds case, because, you know, Bonds, though he didn't test positive under Major League Baseball rule, uh, that testing in 2003, his sample was also found when the feds raided it, and it turns out he tested positive when the feds retested it using much more sort of elaborate testing, and he you know, was using these Balco drugs. So, uh, you know, people suggested the notion that maybe Bonds had a lawsuit in him against the union. I, I don't imagine it happening, but, you know, I, I've given up on sort of like being surprised by anything in this case.
4: My guest is Mark fainer He's the co-author of the book Game of Shadows. He's also an investigative reporter for ESPN. Mark, uh I know, again, I'm asking you to kind of predict the future, but you've been around this so much, and you probably have a better pulse on this than most people. What is the process that would have to be undertaken for the other 103 names to be released?
2: Well, you know, it's a very good question. I I can't imagine a scenario in which Major League Baseball or the Players Association agrees to release the other 103 names, nor can I imagine a scenario in which... Uh, or an easy scenario to imagine in which the federal government releases the 103 names. So I think the likelihood of it happening is more in the way that the Arod sample comes positive, which is um, looking at the idea that, uh, you know, leaks happen, basically, and that, and that somehow um, somebody gets a hold of the list. Um, you know, obviously a lot of people have it, or a number of people have it. So, but, but I don't see a scenario in which it gets released in some sort of formal fashion.
4: Yeah, I mean, this brings up a really interesting question that I know you and your co-author Lance Williams were faced with, protecting your sources. And obviously, like you just mentioned, Sports Illustrated had four sources for this story. Those sources have those names. And, you know, you wonder how many of... How many of the other 103 names will be leaked? Alex Rodriguez, I'm sure, is the biggest name on the list, the one that gets the most attention. Maybe there won't be any more, but uh, it's just an interesting story when it comes to protecting your sources.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, you know, it's not something you know we envisioned we would be in the scenario we were, Lance and myself, when we got into it. But it's obviously not something you take lightly. I mean, I, I don't you know I don't relish what we went through, and, and I don't wish it upon anybody. Um, and yet, you know, it's it's not, as, as Lance used to say when we were going through it, you know, it, it's not like we chose to be in that situation. The government decided to come after us, and you do what you're supposed to do, which is you make promises to people, and, you know, you don't only keep those promises when things are good. And so, you know, I, I mean, look, it's unfortunate that, that these stories rely, in some cases, upon anonymous sources providing information about, about actual documents. But um, that's the reality, oftentimes, of this kind of reporting. And, and uh, you know, we, we would be a a far far uh, less informed um, and antiquated kind of place if you if you didn't have the ability to do this kind of reporting. the public would be a vastly less informed place
4: well, absolutely I mean again, yourself and Lance and Selena Roberts this week and you know the people at Sports Illustrator who are on top of this story. it is your journalistic responsibility to uh, reveal this information if you have it. Mark, is Major League Baseball chasing their tail with all of this, or is the league eventually uh, going to, uh, are the authorities eventually going to catch the the players and, and even more importantly the distributors, or do you see this being a problem for years to come?
2: You know, I'm I'm pretty cynical about this, unfortunately, and I, I don't see a scenario in which baseball rids itself of performance-dancing drugs, nor the NFL or any of the other leagues. I mean, you know, if you look at the Olympic testing, for example, it's, They've had a pretty stringent testing policy for years. Track and field athletes have faced significant amounts of things, people showing up on their doorstep at all hours, unannounced. Um, and yet, you know, many of the athletes connected to Balka were track and field athletes, and they were passing the test with flying colors. Um, you know, it is a, you know, as some people have said, an arms race in which the, the cheaters are well ahead of the testers, and the money um, uh, is such that that you're going to see that, I think, all the time. There are too many drugs right now that can't be tested for. And I don't know if the will exists um, for for the leagues to find a way, even if there were one, um, to, to rid the game of these kinds of drugs.
4: Is there a double, double standard when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs? I'll give you, uh, uh, for instance, you know, Sean Merriman, linebacker for the San Diego Chargers a few years ago, suspended for performance-enhancing drug use. Uh, then later that season, he's elected to the Pro Bowl, and now no one really talks about Sean Merriman Is a, uh, performance enhancement drug user with baseball, it's so different. I mean, A. Rod, Clemens, Bonds. Uh, it seems like baseball is is really looked at as more hallowed than maybe some of these other sports. Is there a double standard? You think?
2: I mean, I think there is. I think there's a few things at play. I mean, this this issue has has arisen a lot over the last several years. You know, with the question basically being why has the NFL received a free pass when clearly guys are using a range of performance enhancing drugs to able to compete at the level they are. I mean, these are not, you know, typical, you know, uh, human feats that are being accomplished on the football field, and the size and the speed of these guys is not normal. Um, I mean, I think there's several things at play. One is that the NFL has done a vastly better job at PR in dealing with this issue and convincing Congress that even if, even if the reality is not the case, that, that, that they are actually on top of this thing and they've been proactive about it. I think another thing is, you know, I do think that there is a sort of societal difference about the way people look at at baseball fans look at baseball versus basketball. I mean, I mean, baseball versus football. One of the things clearly is that statistics matter much more in baseball than they do in football. But I also think, you know, there's a sense still of for fans that, you know, that's what football players are need to do. That these are football players. We can't necessarily relate to the physical abilities of these guys. Where in baseball, I think there's a different sort of connection that fans have with baseball players, and it it leads to a, a sort of different reaction. I mean, that said, I do think if you, you know, if if names started to come out of some of the significant, you know, great great NFL players, um, and and large numbers of them, um, you know, you might see a different sort of reaction.
4: Mark, last question: uh, Game of Shadows, tremendous book, great work by you and Lance Williams. I know that HBO has the rights to the movie and that I believe Ron Shelton has signed on to direct it. What's the latest with that project?
2: You know, it's really been an education for us. I mean, I know nothing about the movie industry, and I still feel like I know nothing about the movie <laughs> industry. Um, you know, it was really flattering that HBO wanted to buy the rights to the book. Incredibly flattering that they hired Ron Shelton to, to write the screenplay and direct. And, and, you know, we've been in touch with them, and Ron has been in touch with us, and they're working on a script, and, you know, I, I hear that happens a lot, and then stuff doesn't get made. So... We'll just have to wait and see, but it's it's exciting to watch them go through the process of trying to turn the book into a movie and figure out what makes sense to try and put on the screen. So, I mean, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be interested to see if it happens, and uh, I'm just sort of standing on the sidelines watching.
4: I'll be interested to see who gets uh, cast for the parts in, in that movie.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, it'll be a fascinating uh, look at some people. I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the things I I, I, always, I loved about doing this story was the characters are... Just amazing you know and i think you know people talk about bonds all the time but i always thought victor conti for example is the most fascinating character in this whole thing so um you know if, if this thing happens it'll be interesting to see people try to put him on the screen
4: well and the one guy that i can't figure out i've done this show for five years now and the one guy in five years that i cannot figure out at all is greg anderson why would this guy sit in jail for barry bonds his wife just had a new baby when he went into prison I have no idea. Unless he's getting paid a ridiculous sum of money, I don't know why he would sit in jail for Barry Bonds.
2: Well, I think you know. You ask the same question a lot of people ask: is what is the deal with him? And I, you know, I don't pretend to know him at all. I know some people who know him, and they will tell you it's not really about about Barry. They will tell you that it's it's actually you know about Greg just feeling like you know the government was not upfront with him and that this was not part of the deal with them and um, you know he feels like uh, he's obligated not to sort of talk about this and. You know, I I don't really get it myself. Uh, You know, I mean, this is, he spent 13 months in jail. He's going to spend some more time in jail during the trial if he refuses to testify again. And, you know, if the government really continues to play hardball, they've gone after his his mother-in-law, they've gone after his wife, they could go after him for criminal contempt if they wanted to and and try to get him to serve more jail time. So uh, it is a really interesting thing, and I don't don't know uh, that anybody but Greg Anderson could really provide the insights about what's happening.
4: Interesting stuff. Mark Feiner one of the best investigative reporters that we have in this country doing sports investigative reporting. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you can read all of his good stuff on uh, ESPN.com. Mark, thanks for joining us.
2: It's my pleasure. And I really appreciate the kind words.
4: Thanks a lot. No problem. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. And the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio.
1: One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Tony Petitti. He was named President and Chief Executive Officer
4: of the Major League Baseball Network in April of 2008. He oversees all the day-to-day operations of the network. The Major League Baseball Network launched on January 1st in approximately 50 million homes as the largest network debut in cable history, Tony, thanks for joining me here on Sports Business Radio.
3: Thank you for having me on.
4: So, anytime you launch a new network, there's always some bugs to work out. How are things going for you guys in your first month of operations?
3: They're going really, really well. We've, you know, we felt uh, great about our debut. We thought the opening programming was, you know, garnered a lot of interest to have the Larson Perfect Game and the, and the replay of that original telecast, and to have you know, Yogi and Don with Bob Costas and, uh, you know, hear from them. We thought that really worked well. And, you know, what we're really excited about is that, uh, you know, the hot stove show, our studio show is getting a lot of attention. It's a unique show out there right now. We're covering the off season nationally, I think, you know, in a pretty much an unprecedented way. So that's been good. You know, like any launches, all kinds of things, you know, behind the scenes you work on every day. Every day is a little bit different. But, you know, given the short time frame we have uh, to get this thing up and running from June to
4: Jan 1, it's, it's gone really, really well. Yeah, so let's talk about some of your programming. I really like the the 1956 Don Larson Perfect Game. One of the things I like the most is that you left some of the old commercials in there. I thought that was really cool just to look back and see some of the spots that were running way back when. But, uh, you know, the hot stove show that you just mentioned, it seems like that's become your your signature show. Maybe you can talk about some of the other regular programming that you have on the network.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right. It has become our signature show uh, early on here. You know, what we wanted to do is we really felt that our studio operation was what was going to distinguish us, you know, in the first year of the network, and so Hustle will eventually morph into MLB Tonight, which will be, you know, a show that will come on at 6 p.m. in-season, and will conclude with the last out in the West Coast, and, you know, you have to picture sort of the idea of March Madness, where you're bouncing from game to game, getting in-progress highlights, and really sort of being command central for everything baseball. That's what we want that show to be, and we think. You know we'll be able to do a great job of that. We can cover all 30 teams and bounce around. You know some of the other important programming is one of the great things about baseball is the archives are so rich and people really relate to baseball and the history of the game. I think in a, in a unique way compared to other sports, and that's a great asset for us. So we are going to you know tap into the archives, whether we do you know classic games that will sort of update, whether like we did with the Larson game, or whether we do you know, shows like we're doing now called Prime Nine, where you look at the nine best in all different kinds of categories, or we have one show called Baseball Seasons where we look at an entire year to show what was unique about that season. So, you know, it's a combination of live studio programming, um, archival st- uh, programming, and then also, you know, we'll have live games as well. we we'll have a Thursday game of the week. We're, we're going to do the Caribbean World Series. We're going to try to have some youth baseball. So I think it's sort of taking – uh, as much programming from every bucket that w- that we potentially can have and then and then see where it goes from there.
4: How rich are your archives? I mean, again, we talk about the 1956 Don Larson game, but you know, from the 60s, 70s and 80s, I would imagine you have a lot of uh, footage in the archives from those yeah. eras as
3: well, right? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of hours, you know, some games are complete, other games aren't. It just really depends, you know, how far back you're going and and to what type of programming but, you know, the great thing is a really talented group of production people at MLB Productions, and they're sort of uh, you know, we use them as a production company for the network. They've produced a lot of good content for us. So it's not only the production team that we have here, but it's also the resources from MLB Productions as well. And, you know, they're doing the baseball season series for us, and they've done a great job with that so far. So, you know, there's, there's so much stuff there. Uh, it's just over time we'll come up with all new ways to package it and repurpose it. It's just, you know, we can't do everything in the first year, but we know we're gonna, it's only going to continue to grow.
4: Looks like for the first year you do have plans to air 26 live baseball games. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep on Thursday night. That's great. So that's going to become, you know, we see Sunday night baseball on ESPN. Can we now look forward to Thursday night baseball on the MLB network?
3: Yeah, I mean I think Thursday night's a great name for a uh, great night for us rather. It's got uh there's less games on Thursday. It'll give us more of a national footprint, less local competition. So you know, if you're going to be a baseball uh, MLB network, you want to make sure that you do have live games and showcase the way the game is played. So, you know, we're excited about having that Thursday night. You know, and then we'll obviously the rest of the week we'll have MLB tonight. MLB tonight will be on in front of and behind the Thursday night game. So, one thing that if you look at the network that I think makes us somewhat unique is, uh, you know, we're going to have over 1,400 live hours in our first year, which if you look at is a pretty large number given to be a startup network with. So,
4: yeah, Bob Costas is part-time studio host but then you know you've got Harold Reynolds Barry Larkin how did you go about building your your I guess list of analysts and then your your studio talent
3: yeah I mean we, it was a combination of things we had guys reaching out to us we reached out to certain guys that we had seen doing things locally we did auditions so it was all sort of every way imaginable and you know what we did is we tried to find guys that obviously had great playing experience but also had a lot of broadcast experience so if you look at our team, Uh, top to bottom. There's great depth there. There's a lot of really uh, hardcore baseball people, not just the analysts, obviously, but the hosts are all, whether it's Victor Rojas or Matt Fiskirgin, have great baseball experience. So um, it was a combination of doing all those things, but we got great interest. We probably auditioned over 30 guys. So it's been, you know, we've been really fortunate to be able to put together what we think is a good team.
4: Costas is so knowledgeable about baseball and he's such a recognizable name. How involved is he going to be uh, in the MLB Network? Well, you know,
3: that's, that's to be determined. I mean, this show was sort of a one-start thing, and then we're going to, you know, if we can figure out a way to do more with him, that would be great. But that was sort of, uh, you know, a starting point for us with, with Bob. And, you know, obviously he loves the game, and if there's ways we can figure out to get him involved, we'd love to do that because I think you could see right away from that show what he was able to add.
4: Sure, My guest is Tony Petiti. He is the president and CEO of the Major League Baseball Network, the network launched on January 1st. They're in approximately 50 million homes. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about your sets. I I like you've got Studio 3 named in honor of Babe Ruth, and you've got Studio 42 named in honor of Jackie Robinson. Maybe you can explain to our listeners what's going to happen in each studio.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, 42. We just wanted to have something really authentic to the game, so we built, you know, a replica ballpark. It's got uh, basically a half-scale infield and an outfield, but the thing I like the most about it when you see it on air is that it's really authentic. There are real dugouts, there are real outfield walls with foul poles, and we have you know real uh, we have bleachers where you can seat about 175 people. So, you know, it's not really like a facade. It's actually a real a real set. It probably resembles more of a movie set than it would a, tele- a typical television set. So, um, you know, we're really excited about that. We can do all different kinds of things in there: demonstrations, interviews. We have a guy sitting in the dugout. We had uh, Ricky Henderson was out today. You know, he did a great demo of how you steal third base with Harold Reynolds and Barry Larkin, which was just outstanding. I mean, it's it's great for young kids to watch it, but it's also entertaining to see what was going through his head, you know, and how he approached stealing bases. So we can do things there. Studio 3 is more techie. It's got lots of monitors. It's really the home of, you know, all the information of the game, I guess is the best way to say it. So it's got you know, that's where we'll host our main studio programming. But we'll go back and forth in the course of a night. So on any one show, you'll see different programs, segments coming from both places.
4: You know, you talk about Ricky Henderson and the demonstration. One of the things I enjoyed watching this week was the Hall of Fame announcement and the inductions of mm-hmm. Ricky Henderson and Jim Rice. And it was the first time that it was ever broadcast live, these announcements, and your network was able to broadcast that. It seems like we're going to see more things like that in the future, right?
3: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that's, uh, I appreciate you saying that because I think it's, No, we want to show is that when there is stuff breaking out, I mean, the more we can be live, the more we can be attached to the game, wherever it's being played. And, you know, we've done press announcements. We took a live press conference today from, you know, the Hall of Fame when, uh, you know, with Ricky and Jim Rice, we did, uh, we had the Milton Bradley, you know, press conference when he signed with Chicago. We've done Mark to So, you know, we're going to be sort of everywhere. That's the idea that we are there to cover baseball. We want to be able to be pretty agile. And and I think when you're 24-7 baseball, you have the ability to do that. So that's a huge luxury for us.
4: So, um, you know, we're always looking to see what fans want to see and then try to figure out a way to get it on the air. The Major League Baseball Network gave Comcast, DirecTV, and other pay TV providers an equity stake in the Major League Baseball Network, and the process gained access, as I said earlier, to about 50 million homes at no extra charge to viewers. By contrast, the NFL Network, which launched in 2003, they're only available in 42 million homes and Comcast customers must pay extra if they want the channel. It seems to me, just based on pure numbers, that you guys took a pretty smart approach by giving these distributors an equity stake in your network. Maybe you can discuss that strategy, if you would.
3: Yeah, it was really done by Tim Brosnan and Chris Tully, who were in the baseball office, and they put this together before I came on board in in June. And, you know, in fairness, they did an incredible job of securing the clearance because, you know you've talked about the sets and the studios and the programming all of that is because we have this great distribution and allows you to build a network the way we did and I I, th- I think they took an approach that they thought was best for baseball in the game what they were trying to build at the idea that if they can get meaningful distribution it was okay to have partners and uh, they did a great job of bringing them in it's really changed the whole game in uh, the way the network's been built because you know as you know one of the big uh, you know uh, discussions and battles is always trying to get that clearance and It's just one battle that's been taken away from this network. We don't have to focus on that here. You know, obviously, we're trying to grow our distribution, but it's uh, it's it's a nice luxury to know that we have that great reach.
4: So, explain to our audience. You know, we just mentioned some of those networks have an equity stake. Who else owns the Major League Baseball network? Is it the other owners of all the Major League teams?
3: Yeah, I mean, the exact structure is the major. You know, it's there's an arrangement between uh, Major League Baseball and then the you know, uh, Comcast, DirecTV, Cox, and uh, Time Warner. So, you know, that's the group that owns it. Um, and really the, you know, the key decision points are done by, by Major League Baseball.
4: I'm just wondering, you know, I you may not want to comment on this, but I've watched the NFL Network battle and I've just said to myself, at some point I think that they're going to need to make a similar offer to what you guys did with an equity stake, or else I don't know that that thing's ever going to get done.
3: Yeah, I mean I, I don't really know the answer to that. I mean I guess you know every situation is different and unique and you know I just know that what's worked for baseball, you know, has been to my advantage here and, and I think every situation has got its own sort of way of going, its own flow. So with you know, at least on this one, you know, baseball came to that decision and you know that's what the path they chose and it's, you know, I think it's worked out pretty well.
4: My guest is Tony Petiti, he is the president and CEO of the Major League Baseball Network. We've got just a few minutes left. Tony, there are some controversies in Major League Baseball. Uh, you know the steroid era and you know, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens. Is your network going to cover those things, or because you're owned by Major League Baseball, are you going to try and steer clear of those topics?
3: Well, I mean, I think the first thing is you have to be credible. And I've always told everybody when that questions come up is that if it's important to baseball fans, we need to cover it. If we think baseball fans want to know about a certain issue or topic or you know impacting the game or something about a player. And they're entitled to that information, and we want them to come to us for that information. so I think you need to be able to do that. I think if you looked in the show yesterday in the Hall of Fame show, we had a pretty frank discussion about you know who should be in the Hall of Fame going forward and how you know the past year is going to be represented uh, in the hall so I think we've shown that we have that independence uh, I think everyone at baseball uh, from the commissioner on down has been very clear with me that you know we have to be credible, we have to be authentic, and we have to be able to do that and if you look at MLB.com, I think they've already shown that they do that. So um, I think we're going to be okay
4: on that front. No, That's good to hear. Uh, Ken Burns' documentary on baseball, what a tremendous documentary. I'm wondering, in addition to those types of documentaries, might you produce any original documentaries that you guys create?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're looking, and I think baseball seasons falls into that, but there are going to be some things that we do that sort of, you know, whether it's taking other games like the Larson game and sort of doing a, a treatment on it where you go back and hear from the players in the game, there's that. We've got some other shows that are sort of in progress here. But, yeah, I mean, documentaries-type type programming is really important, uh, historical stuff. We've got, you know, a show coming up on Monday on you know, the Negro Leagues and, you know, Pride and Perseverance, talking about, you know, what went on there. It's a great show in terms of the history that we've produced. So we are going to be looking at the baseball calendar and trying to be timely, trying to come up with programming that has a reason for when it hits. And I think, you know, this Monday night is a good example.
4: Tony, you were with CBS for a number of years. You were instrumental in CSTV's transformation to the CBS College Sports Network. What are the biggest changes with televised sports coverage in the last five years? You know, I
3: think it's, well, I mean, from the production standpoint, I think obviously, you know, stuff is showing up in different places. The technology, you know, allows you to do a lot of different things. And I think, but the key thing is, if you look at it, You know, the core way most sports are covered hasn't changed very much, whether it's the way you watch a football game, the way you watch a baseball game, in terms of the on-air production. What has changed is sort of the bells and whistles that go around it. And, you know, you're able to do some different things. And most of those are for replays or, you know, graphic insertions, those type of things. On the business side, obviously, you know, the ability for, you know, some of the bigger events to be in places like ESPN and, others, and other, you know, all sports is a, is a little bit different than it may have been 10, 10, 15 years ago or 20 years ago when I first started. So I think that's probably the biggest change on the business side is where events can live and where leagues put their product and what you know, what the future is of that. So I think that's there. On the production side, it's trying to be smart to use this technology to find ways to really make the technology add to the experience as opposed to just, just being there because you can do it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I have an iPhone and I have the MLB at bat application and I just you know it allows me to follow literally every at bat in a major league baseball game and I look at some of the technologies and trends and wonder where is TV coverage and, and baseball coverage going to be five years from now and it seems to me that you know we've seen the development of H D T V like you just talked about an in instant replay, but I'm kind of envisioning a world five years from now where we may be able to actually watch a game on our handheld device.
3: Yeah I mean I think look it's uh, you know I think all content providers are gonna make sure that you know, you almost want to be uh you know agnostic to what the delivery system is. You want to make sure your product lives in as many places as it can. So that's really for you know for baseball to side, not to me. Mine my job is to make sure that when it lives on the MLB network, it's pre- it's presented in a first class way and one that viewers wanna get. So I still think you know people are gonna love that experience of coming home, you know, it, with you know, with H D T V and watching a game or watching a studio show or watching something that's a documentary, because there is something valuable about that. Having said that, giving people access to the content in other places when they're on the move or where they can't be in their homes is really important. And you know, if you look at what MLB.com has been able to create and the access it gives to fans all day long, that's a great example of that. So, I mean, you're right. It's just moving to, to having the content in as many platforms
4: as possible. Tony, if people don't have the MLB network or they want to learn more about your network, how can they do that?
3: I, mean, I think they should call their, you know, their local provider, whether it's a satellite service or... Um, if it's you know it's direct, the odds are almost overwhelming that they do have it already. Uh, one is uh, we've got a great thing. You can go to MLB.com, and you can log on there, put in your zip code, and it'll tell you what channel it's on. So that's the first way to find out if it's available in your market. And if you don't have it, they can tell you what you need to do to, to get access to it. So you know, if basically, if you have digital basic cable, you should have access to us.
4: I am one of the fortunate ones who has the MLB network. I can tell you if you have not seen it, you definitely need to make time to tune in. Tony Petitti, he's the president and CEO of Major League Baseball Network. Tony, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on. I enjoyed it. You take care. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com.
1: The website is sportsbusinessradio.com.
0: Welcome back, and I'm getting a little nostalgic. We've got a fun story for you out of Philadelphia. Bobby, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? You
5: know, Earlier this week, the Harlem Globetrotters decided that they were going to play a game on the roof of a building. They decided that they were going to play a game on top of the old Wakovia Center before it's torn down. They actually played the Washington Generals on top of a roof of an arena 120 feet above the ground. Now, not only players and coaches were worried about falling off, members of the media were told, do not go near the edge.
0: Therefore, there must have been helicopters up there videotaping the whole entire game. Yeah, local TV stations have footage of
5: it. You can do a web search for it. It's really impressive. I thought it was kind of a cool idea to send a building out that way by playing the last official basketball game on the roof
0: leave it to the globetrotters to do that well thanks we got a lot of thank yous this week of course our guests that we had on the show previously mark fanruwata from espn tony petiti from major league baseball network of course the staff we miss brian Berger. i know he's going to be back here next week but bobby Corser, josh blank darren peck ron barr James Harris and Doug Zanger, our sponsors, Morton the Steakhouse. I'm hungry just thinking about it. Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. ProTrade.com and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to SportsBusinessRadio.com and clicking on the podcast page. And as I mentioned in segment one, we want more friends on Facebook. So go to Facebook, type in Sports Business Radio, and become one of our friends. Also... Go to our blog, sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm Nathan Roach. Brian will be back in the studio next week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio.